From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 104. Today's guest is a major league pitcher who has experience as both a starter and a reliever, so you can share some insights on the preparation that goes along with both of those responsibilities. Also, a really cool story of a, a late bloomer from South Florida who kind of came around a little bit later in his career after being more undersized, and his velocity didn't really trend up until late in the game. So cool story of you know not just a stud pitcher who got overused, in his teenage years, but one that took a, a long-term approach, and it's really benefited him greatly. Um, he's a, a member of our pro off-season crew at Cressy Sports Performance Florida, and one of the really well-liked guys in the game, so we're in for a really good episode here. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF-certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exerciser life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Gains can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on the road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest is a right-handed pitcher who was born and raised in South Florida. He was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles in the 11th round of the 2010 MLB draft, but chose to attend Oral Roberts University instead of signing. As a junior at Oral Roberts, he put up a 1.83 ERA over 113 innings with 126 strikeouts and only 26 walks. He was drafted by the Texas Rangers with the 23rd overall pick of the 2013 MLB draft and made his major league debut with Texas on May 30, 2015. 
In that game against the Boston Red Sox, he went the first five and two-thirds innings without surrendering a hit and picked up his first career win. It was the longest no-hit stretch to begin a career for a Rangers pitcher since 1992. Just a week later, he threw a complete game shutout against the Kansas City Royals. He was diagnosed with a partial tear in his UCL in the spring of 2017 and had Tommy John that July, leading him to miss the entire 2017 and 2018 seasons. After a successful winter ball stint in December of 2018, he signed a minor league deal with the Colorado Rockies, where he returned to the big leagues in June of 2019. He started up as a CSP Florida athlete last offseason and has been a regular in the Rockies starting rotation through 2021 with some relief appearances along the way. Please welcome to the show, Chichi Gonzalez. Thanks for joining us, Chichi. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It took about 105 episodes, but you are our first guest named Chichi. <laughs> a very important box that we had to check along the way to uh, to elite baseball development stardom. Um, and I I have always enjoyed our conversations. You're you're a, a dedicated part of the 8:30 a.m. crew, the the dad crew at CSP Florida in the offseason. Directly after kiddo drop off, you come in and get after it. Um, so I think you're going to be a really good guest here. Um, so I want to talk about being a youth slash high school baseball player in South Florida, just because I, that can mean a lot of different things, right? It can be the guy that was like baseball only 150 innings every year from age eight on, or we'll see some multi-sport guys where, what, what was your, your kind of approach that, that led you up to, you know, high school baseball? So I was, I was mainly baseball. Mm-hmm. I was mainly baseball, um, through, you know, from little league T-ball, you know, five years old to high school. Um, I did play a little basketball in middle school because mm-hmm. we didn't have a baseball team at the time. Mm-hmm. So I would just play travel baseball and then, uh, you know, school year basketball. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I didn't have a, much experience with other sports just because of schooling-wise. The school I went to was uh, Alexander D. Henderson, mm-hmm. uh, like the FAU little middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I didn't have many sports teams, so – that's what I was doing there when I was, you know, in middle school. Absolutely. And, you know, so actually I'm, I'm curious, I know, I know you're of Cuban descent. Did mm-hmm. you, did you have a lot of like traditional Cuban baseball, uh, you know, kind of, um, I guess influence in, in, you know, did you, did you have a lot of people in your family that were really passionate about it or how, how did like your, your love of the game come about? Yeah. hundred percent from, you know, being Hispanic, being Cuban, yeah. um, you know, my grandparents played, Growing up, they understood the game. My mom's a fanatic of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I grew up right by uh, that Bucky Dent Baseball School yeah. in Delray Beach. So, um, you know, it was just easy. You know, I literally would just walk across the railroad tracks and there I was at the baseball field. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that was just a big part of it. Um, yeah, Cubans are really known for boxing and, and playing baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was given a baseball glove as my first gift mm-hmm. uh, from a, one of my mother's friends. and. Um, you know, I just took to it. I guess it was just natural for me because because of that heritage, mm-hmm. um, and I really enjoyed the game. That's awesome, and and I'm I'm intrigued. So you you know you're a good high school player, and you know traditionally like the the, the strong high school players, particularly those that you know wind up getting drafted out of high school, like you know, they fall in love with the Florida States, they fall in love with Florida Miami's, like a lot of the you know you grow up expecting to do that, and and you wound up at Oral Roberts. What what led you to Oral Roberts? Um, you know, is a destination. Yeah, so um, through high school, I was I wasn't the biggest, strongest. Um, you know, my senior year, I did I did grow a little bit and gain some weight. 
but you know, I committed my junior year. That was kind of like my thing. Yeah. Was to get my commit early my junior year uh, to Division One. That was mm-hmm. the plan that I said to my baseball coach at the mm-hmm. time, uh, just Justin Timmerman. And uh, when I told him that, he mentioned Oral Roberts to me because he was a volunteer there mm-hmm. years prior. And I didn't think about it too much because you know my goals were just to stay in state. My my dream school was to go to University of Miami. Mm-hmm. So I would do all those winter camps and all those fall ball camps. Um, there, but uh, you know, he really mentioned to me, you know, you know, it's really important for you to play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go to these big Division ones, Florida State, University of Florida, um, but you know, they're gonna have a structure of juniors and seniors that you know have developed and are gonna play more time. You know, as a freshman, you're not gonna get, you know, you might get a couple innings out of the bullpen, but starting wise, um, you got to go somewhere that you will play. So, you know, I thought about it and then I looked up the school and at the time it was Rob Walton was the head coach mm-hmm. and he had a ton of credentials with, uh, you know, Olympic teams and uh, coaching guys that were, you know, in college, got better, got to the draft, played professional baseball. Um, so I had no doubt of, you know, you know, that he would make me better. But the mo- the biggest factor of going to Oral Roberts was the fact that I was going to be able to pitch my freshman year. I love that. It's a, I, I had a similar conversation with Corey Kluber about that. That's one of the things that led him to Stetson. And um, I, I think parents and kids often overlook it's it's good to be wanted too. You know, there's there's something said they're more invested in you if if you were in their plans right away. I know I'm you know I, I I'm inherently yeah. more invested in, in people that I've I've had a role in like onboarding in some capacity. So I think there's something to be said about that. Um, would would you define yourself as like a late bloomer in high school? Was that you know, something that you think maybe didn't, uh, you know, bring those, you know, those high level D ones, like then they, they didn't come calling early or do, did, did things change senior year for you? Or kind of how did it progress over your high school years? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I never, I didn't throw a ball past 90 until my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then senior summer, you know, I was even touching up to 94. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it was just developmental, uh, mature, getting mature, getting some strength under my legs. Um, but yeah, I definitely would describe myself as a late bloomer because that senior summer, I did have, you know, UCF, uh, Florida, uh, University of Florida, um, you know, calling my parents, emailing my parents on, you know, opportunities, uh, preferred walk on type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I stick I stuck to, um, you know, my original uh, commitment was to Oral Roberts my junior year. Um, you know, they gave me a full ride. Um, so I, you know, I had nothing to lose essentially going to Oral Roberts. Um, yeah. And, and I think the biggest factor was that opportunity to pitch well, you know, that. My freshman year. Yeah. Freshman year, I threw about hundred innings and then I also got to play in the Cape Cod league. Absolutely. Um, which I got another like 20 innings. So, um, you know, I think that was a huge part of my develop developing was, you know, just the chance to play. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious, you were, you were still drafted at high school. So you obviously surged forward your, your senior, you went in the 11th round of the Orioles, but you yes. didn't, you didn't sign. So w- was that a hard decision to sign versus not sign or, or, you know, cause I mean, 11th round is not just like a, a pat on the butt in the 39th round that they would do in those days for, you know, kids they knew were going to college. They obviously had substantial interest in you. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very hard decision. Um, you know, it was, um, you know, go to college, because it was a university, I would have to wait three years until I was 21 to be drafted again or mm-hmm. begin my pro ball career. 
um, yeah, it was definitely a tough challenge or, you know, decision. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think if I would have made any decision would have been wrong. Yeah. Um, but I was happy that I did commit to all Roberts, go there for three years. You know, I grew spiritually as well as, um, you know, I got, got my foot into the door of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't finished my degree, but, you know, at least I started it. Absolutely. Uh, and so I'm curious, when, when I went back and looked at some of your college numbers, one of the, I mean, you mentioned um, obviously getting innings early on, um, looking back at you through 105 innings. And then uh, that was in 2011, 2012, you threw 86 innings and you went to the Cape after both of those. Um, mm-hmm. But what was really intriguing to me in, in particular was between 2012 and 2013, from your sophomore to your junior years, you went to a career high in innings, right? You threw 113 innings your, your, your junior year. But what I thought was interesting is the the top end velo, you were a 93, 94 guy with your max velo, but your, your average velo went from being like an you know, 88, 89 to being like 91.5. So, you know, it wasn't that like the ceiling got higher, but it seemed like the, you brought the floor up substantially with respect to like how you carried Velo throughout outing. Was there a big change, whether it's mechanically workload wise or how you attacked your prep between sophomore and junior year? Or do you think it was just, you know, growing in your body a little bit, being more consumptive with your mechanics. What what was it that that made you so so good as a junior compared to what you were as a freshman and sophomore? Yeah, I think it's just more so like workload. How you talked about like you know lifting wise, finding a good routine, um, yeah, and just carrying that into that season. Um, for sure, I was my strongest at my junior year. Mm-hmm. You know, we worked our legs most, a lot of conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was almost, you know, that, that, that time of the year, that year that it was, okay, here's, here's where I got to make it. Um, mm-hmm. so I can go and move on to that next level. Yeah. Uh, so I think that in the back of my mind kind of pushed me a little harder than the years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a little injury in my sophomore year to my back. That's why I didn't mm-hmm. throw as many innings. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was able to go to the Cape, you know, and, and essentially continue to get to that hundredth inning. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just that, the that strength and conditioning part mm-hmm. that changed my body the most and, and was a, they, like you're saying was made my arm and my body conditioned to carry that velocity throughout the game. So you're, you're listed at six, three, two, ten. What were you when you left high school and, and what were you when you were a, you know, a junior in college? I mean, when I left high school, I probably was five ten, five eleven, maybe 160 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And then I know college, um, my sophomore year, I think because of the injury, I was a little heavier. I was like 190. Mm-hmm. But even when I was, yeah, when I was drafted to the Rangers, I still was around 195. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like the goal when I was drafted to the Rangers was to, um, you know, I, I, I proved myself in college, inning-wise, you know, workload. You know, this the next two months is, you know, get a couple more innings to get you acclimated to pro ball. Yep. But it was to focus on, you know, gaining some more weight mm-hmm. uh, and strength. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I'm intrigued. If you had to go back and do your scouting report, right? So, you know, obviously, you know, physicality changed quite a bit. You know, what was the difference between, you know, being an 11th rounder out of high school versus being a, 
you know, a, a first round pick 23rd overall pick, you know, just a couple of years later, you know, was it, was it just that it was more of a, you didn't have to dream on it as much because it had filled out the below was more consistent and you had shown the durability or were you, were you a markedly different pitcher in terms of, you know, your, your repertoire and how you attacked hitters? Uh, you know, it was kind of a combination of both for sure was the, you know, the proving the workload, um, you know, in high school, you maybe you might throw whatever it is, 40, 40 innings, you know, in a season, mm-hmm. um, you know, and in college, it was the big jump of, uh, you know, every outing, especially at Oral Roberts. I was, you know, I was a Friday night guy or the Saturday night guy. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I looked was, at the numbers. It was like seven and two thirds, eight innings, pretty much every time out. Your junior exactly. Year. Yeah. And it was, I mean, the world's different now, you know, those yeah. outings were 120 pitches, mm-hmm. um, you know, every starting every seven days. So, that's more understandable here pro ball is every fifth day so it's yeah. a little bit more controlled um but yeah i mean in college it was you know i was with rob being my coach it was you know he he that's how he coached was you know here's the ball you know i'm taking it away when the game's over essentially <laughs> uh, yeah so i was i was super content with that because even in high school you know six innings i would throw the whole game mm-hmm. um so I was already kind of used to that, you know, that mark. But, uh, you know, when he when I proved to him that, you know, I was the guy that, um, you know, here's the ball, you know, take it over. Um, you know, I took that I took that approach into pro ball as well. You know, I want that ball every fifth day mm-hmm. and I'm going to go as long as I can. Do you think um, to some degree, I know you mentioned being kind of a baseball only guy, although basketball, you know, to some degree offset that. Do you think it was a blessing in disguise that you were such a late bloomer? that, you know, it it probably protected you from an era where, you know, there were a lot of kids that threw a ton of innings, but with you being what, you know, 82, 84 as a sophomore in high school, like you didn't maybe see as many, you know, crazy usage scenarios. Um, and, and just, you know, coming into your own as a, you know, a sophomore in college was probably like the best thing for you. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, you know, I was always, uh, I was always on a team because I had a good arm, you know, uh, you know, for instance, Mike Kelly, mm-hmm. he's another South Florida Boynton Beach kid. Um, he threw hard ever since he picked up a ball, you know. Mm-hmm. So he was he was that guy that was abused as young in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I believe it carried over into his career, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, being that late bloomer was a blessing in disguise because it was, you know, I wasn't abused by younger coaches. Um you know, things have changed so much more. Yeah. You know, things have changed incredibly different for the better, mm-hmm. um, you know, for protecting kids uh, and their and their careers or future, you know. But, uh, yeah, for instance, that guy like the him, you know, he was hard throwing and he just enjoyed the game. So it wasn't, you know, he didn't think about that as much. Um, but I think later on it did come back and uh, creep up on him. And, yeah, I guess so. That was a blessing disguise for me being that late bloomer that, you know, I wasn't so abused as younger. And I've, I've talked to the, the number of late bloomers at the big league level. Um, I, I don't think people appreciate just how many big leaguers were, you know, they were good players in, in high school, but you know, they weren't front and center. I think uh, there are a lot more guys that come into their own a little bit later, but um, you know, in, in that same vein, you know, what were the adjustments? So obviously you get drafted your, your first round pick and there were adjustments that happened between high school and college, but what were the ones that, took you from being a first round pick to being a guy who was, you know, who became a big leaguer and, you know, had to work to establish himself as a regular big leaguer. How did the, you know, pitch mix, the approach, all that stuff change over the course of those years? 
Yeah, I mean, it, you know, being the first rounder kind of ended as soon as I pitched my first game, you know? Yeah. It was, you know, it's there's no more hype anymore. It's if you perform, you move on. If you don't, that's it type of thing. You get stuck to where you're at. Um, so I can, that was kind of like the biggest understanding adjustment. Um, you know, I had a little pressure on myself being, you know, first rounder. Yes. You know, I got to throw hard. I got to perform so good. Um, you know, you, they, you know, teammates even see it as well. Um, but yeah, once I understood that was, you know, you, it don't matter who you were, who you come from, you know, it's, you got to figure out what you're doing now. Um, and I think that was my biggest adjustment, especially when I got uh, promoted to double a, um, you know, the game, every step as you go, the game gets faster. Mm -hmm. That's what I continue to tell people, you know, velocity wise, uh, running people running, uh, batters against you, uh, yourself, um, and it's that ability of being able to slow it down. Uh, you know, cause at the end of the day, it's, it's baseball. Yeah. It's the same game you played when you grew up till now, same rules, just a little longer, you know, instead of seven innings, five innings, it's nine. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just the, the ability to be able to concentrate for longer. One thing is I'm, I'm actually really curious about because I've had different conversations with guys over the years. What, what was the biggest step? You know what I mean? What, what Was there a, you know, was it high A to double A, double A to triple A, triple A to the big leagues? Where do you feel like, you know, there was this, you know, crazy incremental increase in just the, the challenge of, of competing? I, it was like, it's pretty much triple A and the big leagues because, mm -hmm. you know, you get, you get a mix of, you know, family men, adults. Mm -hmm that, you know, it's, it's pretty much their lives to put food on their table. Mm -hmm. So that's how they take it. Um, especially when you get to AAA, you see that those older veteran guys that, you know, they, there's no fooling around. There's no more of this hanging out, partying. It's business, you know, yeah. come to the field, perform, shower, leave, and you do the same thing the next day. Um, so once I got to AAA, I experienced that more. Uh, because I think I, I was I was younger. I was about 24 when I got to AAA um, with the Rangers. And, you know, those guys had 34-year-olds, 35-year-olds in AAA that were those 4A guys, you know, back and forth. Free agents signed, you know, with out clauses and this and that. But that was the biggest difference was AAA and the big leagues was, you know, either you perform or you or you move on, you know. So that was that big that big jump. Interesting. Um, so for you also, like you, you still throw, you know, you throw five different pitches, right? You got a two and a four seam, you got a curveball, you got a slider, um, as well as a change up, you know, did this happen over the course of time? Like, was it just that there was a subtle addition? Were you always a guy that was able to manipulate the baseball in a lot of different ways from a young age? How did you, how did you get to such a broad pitch, pitch mix that made you a, you know, a big league starter? Yeah. I mean, in, Growing up, it was just pretty – I had pretty decent velo, so it was pretty much fastball, you know. Um, a lot of four seams and occasionally a changeup. I had a good – I had a good mentor, younger coach uh, through those years that were, you know, hey, we're not going to throw a breaking ball until you're 14, you know. <laughs> kind of that, that that new era of developing and, say, uh, you know, thinking of kids' careers and <laughs> lives. Um, and then once I got into college, um, you know, high school I had a little breaking ball. Uh, nothing, nothing great. It was like a slurve. Uh, but in college is when I was shown and taught a true slider. Uh, and through college, you know, I was able to survive with just a fastball and a slider. Mm -hmm. uh, 
yeah, and then once I made the jump into pro ball, it was, you know, you got you to gotta start manipulating things, you know, cutting it, sinking it, and change-ups. Uh, because these big league hitters can, you know, they time up jets, essentially. That's what was the <laughs> first quote that was told to me. Um, yeah, they're always ready for a fastball, and, and that's what they crush our mistakes. Um, but, yeah, so once I got into – my first level was a short season in Spokane. It was, you know, developing a changeup. Mm-hmm. So then I, that's when I had a fastball, a two-seam, a four-seam, two-seam, slider, and a changeup. Um, and that got me up to pretty much double-A. Uh, double-A, and I, everything I threw was pretty pretty hard. You know, mm-hmm. my fastball topped up to 94. My slider was around 85. Uh, and the changeup was the same. You know, 85 just moved different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once I got to double-A, uh, and triple A, it was okay. Now we needed to have something with drastic speed change, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't. I could not figure it out how to do it with my slider. Uh, so our double A pitching coach, Jeff, was the one of you know. Hey, let's create a curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I still was throwing it very hard, about eighty two. So I, you know, his his goal was to all about changing speeds. Mm-hmm. You know, throw throw a pitch that you know you can steal a strike. Or change your eye levels, etc. Um, so right in AAA big leagues is, I still am, uh, you know, manipulating baseball for a curveball. That's probably my fifth best pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you still got to throw it, especially being a starter. Is is your mindset? And I'm probably going to touch on this a little bit later, but I spoke to another pretty accomplished big leaguer who once told me that he has all his pitches in one bucket, and then the curveball is in a completely different bucket. That the mentality is. 100% different and he's a guy who throws both the curveball and a slider you know is it do you view things the same way like was it that big of a shift to, to add that pitch late in the game or did, did it feel like another pitch where you could trust the grip and just rip it yeah no early on it was a totally different world mm-hmm. yeah totally different world because I was always you know everything with aggression everything fast hand mm-hmm. um, and and developing the curveball was um, so important on feel Mm-hmm. And the way I created feel was, you know, with essentially slowing movement, you know, slowing my arm down, making sure my wrist is in the right spot to spin the ball correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it took me a while, man. It took me, I mean, a triple A season pretty much to understand, you know, I don't have to throw every single pitch at my hardest. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you know, it's more of deception, you know, make sure my body is moving the same and my arm is in the same spot to create, create an illusion to create a batter thinking, Hey, this, this is a fastball. Mm-hmm. So maybe on that same, you know, kind of in that same vein, so your guy that uses both a two seam and a four seam. And I, right before he came on, I, I pulled the numbers, your two seams, 16%, your four seams, 37% of your usage. And you know, they're, they're about 90 RPM difference in terms of spin rate you know, and they're they're differentiated in terms of their movement profiles, both with how they break vertically and horizontally. But I'm I'm sure there's a tendency for them to at times blend a little bit. Um, you know, and and I, I'm you know sure that when Trapman or Hawkeye looks at it, that there are times when they perceive a four seam as a two or vice versa. So I'm actually more curious, like, what are your mindsets with each? Like, is it a, is it a you know trust the grip and rip down on it or what are your what do you tell yourself when you throw a four seam and what do you tell yourself when you throw a two seam? Yeah, four seam for sure is, is get the grip and rip it. 
just because, I mean, that's what you play catch with, essentially. You pick up a ball, you start throwing it, you're throwing a four seam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've been doing it for so long, so that's a very trusted pitch, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, opposed to the sinker slide, uh, sinker two seam. Um, do you, yeah, call, do you treat it as a sinker, or is it a running fastball? How, how do you I, describe I treat it? it I'm, honestly, pitching in Denver. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah. You told, you're, it's, it's, it's incredible to talk about, but yeah. it's a true um, – you know, people have say it and you see it in numbers and pitch shape wise and on TV. Um, but yeah, at, at home in Denver, I would say it's more of a running fastball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when on the road with, you know, less elevation, more humidity, it is a sinker. Mm-hmm. And it's also dependent on where you throw it in the zone. You know, if I throw it up, it runs a little bit more just because I'm underneath the balls, ball more. And if I'm throwing it down in the zone, I'm on top of it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's incredible that I'm saying that, but it is honestly true about the, you know, you're two different pitchers, your ball moves two different, different ways when you're at at home in Denver opposed to on the road. Interesting. I I mean, you're not the first person I've heard that from. Um, Yeah. And Ottavino was on, on the podcast a long long time ago and he spoke to it and I know we've had good conversations with, with various guys over the years that feel like they need to start their breaking ball at a different point when they're, you know, at at Mm -hmm. altitude. Um, so you know when you're when you're talking about differentiating them, like what is it about a, a two seam that you for you feels like dramatically different in terms of how you manipulate it? Like it's it's not a four seam in your mind. What what is the difference? The difference is is uh, pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very middle finger dominant. So mm-hmm. I think it's just through college because I threw so many sliders uh, mm-hmm. that you know I'm very I'm uh, very middle finger dominant. So when I do throw a two seam. I try to concentrate on, you know, a little bit more pressure on my index mm-hmm. or even when I'm at release, having my index pointing at the catcher. Okay. Opposed to more so, you know, four-seam, my middle finger just ripping down on it. Mm-hmm. And will you feel like yeah. the, the four-seam, will will you have some natural cut on that, that, you know, that helps you? Or, you know, is it something that you've been able to actually, like, get a true backspin on? Yeah, my, I think my whole life, because even when I was drafted uh, at a high school, uh, you know, scouts always talk to me. Oh, you know, you throw a cut fastball. Is that is that uh, grip wise or is that just natural? I think it's just the way my wrist works. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had that kind of like my whole career, a mm-hmm. um, little cut in my fastball. Um, you know, it's beneficial sometimes. Sometimes it's not. Um, you know, I could count a, a dozen times on when it's not, when I'm trying to go inside on a yeah. four seam and it cuts back to the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but opposed to, you know, when I'm facing the lefty, you know, I throw it inside and it's perfect and it runs right into the, you know, jams them. Yeah. So the only time that it really has hurt me is more so on my arm side. Okay. Um, you know, going inside to righties or away to lefties just because it may leak back more towards the middle. Yeah, I think we need, we need to be very careful about coaching the different out of people. Like sometimes it's that that little bit of funk that makes somebody you know no, have, yeah. have a little yeah. bit of movement. And then, and you know we're in an era now where you have the technology to say, all right, that's not a hundred percent spin efficiency fastball. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people that that might want to overhaul it. You know, the other thing is, you know, we don't know how your system's going to adjust if you if you try to make that a really true four seam. Like, how are you going to beat up on your shoulder and elbow trying to reorient something that you've you've habituated to over the course of you know, 20 plus years of throwing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 
That's, I feel like that's one of the little differences in my fastball than others is that little cut in it. Um, so it's just the ability of me, you know, making less mistakes with it. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, my goal every time I throw a pitch is not to throw one straight. <laughs> I like you know, it. Yeah. Movement is key and movement was what made Greg Maddox the best, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and precision, obviously the controlling the strike zone, but. Yeah, my goal is just whenever I throw any type of pitch is never to be flat and straight, you know, have tilt, angle, and mm-hmm. movement in it, um, and then just mastering that. So how do the curveball and the slider differentiate? You know, how do you what, – what are the mindsets on both of those? Those, you know, grip-wise, it's a little different. Uh, grip-wise and intent-wise. Uh, you know, with the slider, I try to extend and throw it as hard as I can and spin it with that little gyro dot. Mm-hmm. Opposed to the curveball is, you know, I try to lock my wrist and have it go more so, um, I guess, more efficient spin mm-hmm. uh, top to bottom. So I get more of de- more depth uh, and that helps me slow down the speed. Mm-hmm. And let's just change gears a little bit. So talk to me about kind of your in-season training and throwing schedule. I know you alluded like, hey, I can, you know, I could push volume on a seven-day rotation in college and we both know a lot of guys get to pro ball and that adjustment from a seven day to a five day rotation is it's a big deal. Um, you kind of just get used to pitching at 90%. What do you do with your five day rotation to, to stay fresh? Yeah. I mean, I just listen to myself, you know, listen to my body. Um, there's days that, you know, I'm supposed to do a lower lift, but you know, my knees barking or my hips are too tight that, you know, I just focus on movement. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that are is consistent in my routine is um, flexibility, mm-hmm. uh, movement through every you know motion that I do, um, and it's just cons- having a consistent like warm up essentially. And I honestly learned that with you um, this off season was, you know, you co- it's not just coming in, do do the hip mobility stuff because you say so. No, it's understanding why this is for me. Um, and making it part of, you know, your daily routine. Um, but yeah, so I think that that little warm up routine is the most important in my five day uh, regimen because, you know, I've been starting this year and I've been pushed into the bullpen as well. So you've seen both you get, be ready at all times. So it's, a, it's exactly. it becomes a daily prep type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, there's, you know, being a reliever uh, strength and lifting wise, is not on a schedule starting. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, every fifth day you'll get that yep. ball. Absolutely. Reliever reliever. It's, you know, understanding yourself, understanding your workload, understanding how your arm feels, your body, everything wise. So, I mean, I even see it through Kinley. Kinley mm-hmm. is, I mean, Kinley would have to be the best example, you know, put a camera on that guy and this is how you're a reliever. This is how you become a great reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts with his warmups. You know, yeah. he's he's so, so committed, so concentrated on every single breath he takes, essentially, mm-hmm. in that little fifteen day or fifteen minute warm up. Um, but yeah, I think that would be the biggest difference that I've learned in these past couple of years has been, you know, pre- prepping your body to lift, prepping your body to throw. Um, you know, as young. You're just young. You're fresh. You're you're ready to go at all times. Come age, 
you know, that's when I guess wisdom and experience comes into play. As in, you know, prepping is so, so important. Getting those muscle joints loose, stretched out so an injury doesn't occur. I think there's, and there's so much that's uncontrollable about being a reliever. Like you don't know yes. what the way the game is going to go. As a starter, you know you're going to take the ball and you largely dictate the flow of the game. Yes. So control the controllables, and, and there aren't many of them as a reliever, but daily warm-ups and just saying, all right, I'm going to lift on the second game of every series no matter what. You know, exactly. you have something that you can fall back on. When you when you are on that five-day rotation, um, how do you attack both your throwing and your lifting schedule within that five-day block? Are you a day two, a day three pen? How do you usually structure it? Yeah, so the five-day, I'll pitch on, you know, so I'll pitch. The next day, I'll come in. uh and I'll do a lower body, mm-hmm. lower body lift. Um, and it pretty much consists of a, a split squat, mm-hmm. uh, just so I can get into my hips and strengthen individual legs. Um, so I'll do a split squat and then like an explode series of jumping um, and or, or like a 90 um, 90 hip cars type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, because I'm just always into my hips. We're always into our hips rotating. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what gets tight the most on me are my hips. So for every lift I do, I kind of do an explosion and also as well, uh, stretch, mm-hmm. um, and then catch play, uh, first day all, all, it all depends on how my arm feels. Yep. Um, some days it's, you know, it feels better than others, but this late, like early on, I'm able to go, you know, first day up to 120 feet of light catch, nothing, mm-hmm. in, uh, nothing strenuous, um, probably at about 60% at max, just mm-hmm. getting some air under the ball. Yep. Um, uh, and then I'll, uh, I will probably won't, I don't spin any early on. I will early mm-hmm. on in the season. I'll spin a couple pitches, a couple sliders just to get the feel of it. Um, and then later on in the season, kind of everything kind of just gets pushed back a tad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, and then day two, I am a day two bullpen guy. Mm-hmm. I'll day two. I'll come in. And I'll throw a bullpen, about 20, 25 pitches with all my pitches. Um, and then it will see, like, from the start before, if, uh, you know, I was tipping on a pitch or anything like that, we'll communicate and talk during the bullpen on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that pen day, I don't throw – I throw a little less. I probably, I probably get out to 100 feet mm-hmm. just because I want to I use more of my effort in the bullpen more so than catch play. Mm-hmm. Um then I'll do an upper body lift on that day two, yep. uh, which is a bench in a row uh, and then shoulder care, uh, which consists of bands or lightweights or even some manual stuff. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the manual just because you get feedback mm-hmm. uh, from the trainer. Yeah, the trainer doing it. And it's way more controlled. Yep. Uh, then day three, uh, day three, or I'll do a, I'll do a the little – on day one, I should go back to day one conditioning running wise, uh, just a couple sprints, mm-hmm. just straightforward sprints to get, you know, little, uh, movement in my legs after that lift, some catch play mm-hmm. and then get my legs going again. Uh, day two running wise, I will do, uh, a cut. So like, a, a five, what is it? A five and a 10 mm-hmm. Yep. little shuffle and then sprint. I'll do that about eight times. So that's the running wise. And then day three, uh, I concentrate on core and movement, a lot of core and stretching. Um, 
just to get in to get all the sorenesses out from the uh, the bullpen and the workouts. Yep. yep. And then catch play, same thing. I'll get out to about 200 feet. Day three depends on that bullpen, how I feel. I'll get out a little further, about 200 feet. I'll do a little bit more long toss mm-hmm. on day three. Just because at that point, your body should be fully recovered. Yep. Uh, and then running, I'll do uh, uh, interval. You know, I'll go, I think it's uh, 20 yards. And then I'll come back. And then I'll rest, you know, the double the time, however, it took yep. me to run that sprint. Okay. Uh, then day four, um, day four is light catch. Mm-hmm. So about to 90 feet, um, no lift, uh, still with the same warm up and mm-hmm. movement wise, but less workload on that day. Uh, just, and then it's more like video and mm-hmm. get ready for my start. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Scouting type of stuff. I mean, there's some good stuff in there in the sense that you, yeah. you know, if you think about the way like a five day rotation is, you've got to find recovery at some point and you either, mm-hmm. you follow a high low model where you try to get a recovery on day one or day two, or you have a approach where you can kind of, you know, to some degree, like blow it out between day zero and day two, where you, you get all your work in and then you have kind of those two lower key days on day three and day four to bounce back before day five. And there's, exactly, yeah. there's different ways to attack it. Um, you know, and, and it's probably something you've learned by trial and error of, how much mm-hmm. you can push on the front end without being exhausted by the time day five rolls around again. Yeah. Awesome. No. Yeah. I mean, that's all it's been. It's been trial and error, mm-hmm. watching other guys, talking to other guys about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's honestly mostly just talking to other guys. Cause yes, being in college, it was kind of just told, Hey, this is how you're supposed to do it. Once I got into pro ball, it was, Hey, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I guess the older guys and the more experienced guys come in into fluidity and very important, just, you know, watching them or communicating with them on, Hey, how, how did you do it? How did you last so long in your career? Mm-hmm. Um, and no one's going to have the right answer. Everyone's yeah, and, so much different. And they all pivot over the course of a, oh, a yes. career with what they do and how it adjusts. So yeah, that's the most important thing is staying open-minded to different principles. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, those are the most coachable people. That's it. That's the you name know, of the game. Are the open-minded, the ones that are be able to change, and the ones that understand why you're changing. Nice. All right. So we always at the end we go to like a lightning round. So the first okay. question we ask all of our pro guys: What advice would you give to a teenage Chichi Gonzalez to go back in time? Just concentrate what you got at hand. Don't worry about what happened. Or what's going to happen. You know, today's the day. Win today and enjoy the day. Nice. And then I'm actually really intrigued on this one because uh, we've asked a lot of big leaguers and I feel like we've gone 50-50 on the responses. What's more important, stuff or command? I would I would say uh, command. All right. Yeah, command 100%. There you go. There's no wrong answer on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I know you could either go either way because – People that have the stuff might say command, and the people yeah. that have the command might say the stuff. That's the truth. Um, <laughs> and then uh, favorite teammate of all time and why? Uh, favorite teammate. You're going to um, hurt some feelings. You got some good dudes in that clubhouse. <laughs> I know, man. I mean, I got to I got to experience him with the Rangers and Rockies, um, and he's helped me out. I mean, mentally, confidence, you know, everything. And it's been Ian Desmond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I mean, 
he's been through a lot too, you know, being a yeah. shortstop, mm-hmm. being a first baseman, outfielder. You know, he's the guy to talk about adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would I would say he, I mean, he's a great father. Um, he's got, I think, I believe three or four kids. There you go. Um, loves them to death. He <laughs> reminds everyone about that, you know, family's first. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very, like, vocal. You know, a lot of people are, you know, follow, follow by example, but he's, he's a true leader. Uh, he expresses his leadership, um, and I've learned a lot from that. That's awesome. All right, and then the last one, what pitchers do you like to watch, and why do you like to watch them? Uh, my guy right now is Charlie Morton, man. Yeah, he's timeless, isn't he? <laughs> wow, man. He's, um, I mean, he's just an older guy that still's got the stuff. Uh, we know we we I I got to see him one on one the other day against us. Mm-hmm. Um, he did his thing. Um, you know he's he's like a rotational pitcher like I am. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's incredible how he's able to, you know, perform like that every fifth day and be the age that he is. Yeah, and then reinvented himself. I think he had bilateral hip surgery yeah. in the past, so pretty yeah. uh, pretty cool story to see him doing what he's doing. So, yeah. um, hey man, this was awesome. I really enjoyed the conversation. I I feel like we chat five mornings a week all off season and i learned some stuff that i don't i didn't get just from those conversations so maybe i need to bring more like scripted questions to our uh, our, hang, our hangout <laughs> sessions all off season um yeah. but folks can find you on twitter it's at alex gonzalez chi c-h-i at the end and then on uh, instagram it's at alex gonzalez chi 92 yes um, you're the man thanks so much for doing this i, yeah, I really thanks, enjoyed guys. it and we'll yeah, uh, appreciate and we'll, it. we'll see you very soon bud thank you Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.